Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The HHW LOD Podcast Network proudly presents Real Heroes, the podcast that takes a critical look at comic book movies. The good. I am Iron Man. The bad. I punish the guilty. And the worthless. I am the law. So I was really disappointed with the score on this one, which at the beginning didn't lend me to believe this is going to be a good start, but uh, but it definitely picked up from there. The start's the best part. <laughs> yeah, can't argue with that. Yeah, I guess I guess I can't argue with that. Although I'd have to say the score is the, the, the least of the problems I found with the movie, but we'll get to that. Yes, we will. This is Russ, and your real heroes tonight are... Jordan, Jim, and Mr. Johnny M. Good evening, fellas. Hi there. Do you ever shut up? No. Until they cut my mouth out. <laughs> because he's known as the Merc with the Mouth. Oh, wait. As we all know from last episode, the Wheel of Fate this month has chosen X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, which is pretty convenient given that we have, just in a few short months, uh, the next installment of the X-Men franchise, which is just called The Wolverine, which, from what I understand, is going to be a pretty big departure for the movie we're going to be talking about tonight. But uh, Thank God. Yes. It's not that bad. Coming from a podcast that has covered Batman and Robin and... Uh... Judge Dredd, Fury, yeah, and Judge Dredd. It's not that bad. No, I'll I'll agree with you. It's not a terrible movie, as we'll get into. But I think of the X Men movies, it's got to be at the bottom for me. I disagree, sir. But we will get to that. It has certain flaws. So the X Men Origins Wolverine opened May first, two thousand nine. So this is one of the more recent movies we've covered. I think this is the most recent one we've covered so far. Actually performed pretty well at the box office. The domestic gross is one hundred seventy nine point eight million, which I think was a bit still of a disappointment, just given how well uh, X two did and even X three on the opening weekend. But I think it really fizzled after that. Uh, the foreign gross though made up for it with one hundred ninety three point one million. So worldwide, it was like three hundred seventeen point nine million, and that's before. TV rights and video and Blu-ray and DVD and all that kind of good stuff. The budget I had listed was $150 million. So it, it basically made, it, it collected twice its money just in box office. Um, $85 million on the opening weekend, which, if everybody remembers, this movie was kind of, there's a lot of controversy around it because it was kind of deemed as, as heavily pirated. You know, there was, a, there was a rough cut that was put out that some people may have seen, some people may not have seen it. Some unfinished, unfinished uh, effect shots. Some, you know, crude animatics in in certain places. I think there were some wires even still showing. Um, and I know a lot of the, uh, you know, Fox cried foul, and and some of the other, uh, you know, producers kind of cried foul that they felt uh, they lost out on a lot of revenue because because of the leak. 
I believe a work print was the uh, way they described that copy. Yes. Which, to be honest, as, as we look back, as you just said, that first weekend did pretty well. It was just word of mouth that really killed the box office. Well, I think I think it was the opposite, because I think the initial word from what people were seeing was that it was going to be a complete disaster. And I think when that work print went out, there was, I think, more positive than negative reviews on it from the fan community. So I think that I I think it helped kind of bolster it. But that's just that's just my opinion. I could be I have no empirical or scientific evidence to back up my facts. I just wanted to say this is the first time I remember that you know a movie being heavily pirated before its release was an issue. Um, I mean, correct me if, you, if I'm wrong. If you can think of an earlier precedent, but I mean, I mean, I know that I mean, obviously pirated uh, versions of movies have gone out, you know, post-release or whatever from cam jobs or DVD screeners or whatever. But this is the first time I ever remember there being like a, a print of the movie coming out prior to its release that impacted its uh, box office. It happens occasionally when movies open first overseas, um, but this was certainly, I think, the earliest. What was this about three to five months before the movie was released? I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing about being about it not being finished was that it gave you really high hopes. In other words, like if something didn't look quite right, you know, you could write it off as, well, it wasn't finished. They're going to fix that. Like that type of thing. So that might have impacted, you know, the negative feelings about maybe the effects or the action or whatever. Just hopes that it was going to look better when finished. Which in some cases it did, in some cases it did not. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, so g- g- given all that, the the critics were pretty harsh on it. Um, Rotten Tomatoes lists it as 38% fresh from the critics, but almost a complete opposite. The, the audience rating is 72% fresh. So uh, a huge disconnect between the you know official review community and actual people that went and put their butts in the seat uh, to watch it. So... Uh, I think this is the biggest sw- swing we've seen in uh, in in the kind of the Rotten Tomato scores, and there were quite a few. I think there were over like two hundred thousand uh, reviews on Rotten Tomato for like audience reviews. So there was, I mean, there was a pretty big sample size on both the critic side and the and the audience side for this one. I think you make a good point that the audience is a lot kinder to it than the critics because the uh, the IMDb rating for like uh, something like one hundred seventy five thousand users is a six point seven. Which is a lot higher than what I've seen on you know, Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes or anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird to me because I would kind of assume that the you know theater going rating would be a lot of comic people. Which, granted, that's not um, that big of a uh, consumer segment, but enough comic people or enough people who have at least seen the other X Men movies who would probably be more critical of it just based on the continuity problems, which some can be explained away, some can't. But I'm kind of surprised that more comics fans and and X-Men movie fans didn't have problems with this just based on that. Yeah, I mean, I I think we'll get into that, because I I think out of the four of us, there's probably no bigger Wolverine fan here than me. So (laughs) true. um, we'll definitely get into, into the specifics. Uh, the director for this one was Gavin Hood, and for the most part, he was an unknown. I mean, he had some smaller uh, flicks that, that he directed, you know, nothing really big. This was like his first big budget, you know, high dollar motion picture that he directed. Um, and and I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that the direction uh, was, was where necessarily where this was, this was a weak film. 
Oh, I was going to say real before we go on to the writing, a couple of interesting things about Kevin Hood. Uh, first of all, I mean, he's probably better known for his role on Stargate uh, SG One. I mean, than he is as a director. I mean, he's been an actor in a lot of different things. Yes. And another thing uh, that, um, uh, including American Kickboxer, the classic. Uh, but uh, something that's, that's pretty interesting to note about him: he is directing Ender's Game, the big budget version of you know the classic science fiction book that's coming out. I believe in uh, 20... Yeah, it's coming out this year. I had not put two and two together on that. I didn't realize it was the same guy. Yeah, that's a huge production. A lot of money behind it, a lot of production value, and it's very anticipated. So, I mean, it's it's interesting that he went from, you know, um, you know doing... Like you said, Russ, he'd done a smaller... A few smaller, like, more independent, like, movies earlier than this, like Rendition and Atatsi or whatever. But, I mean, to go from, you know, X-Men Origins Wolverine now to be directing in one of the biggest productions in Hollywood with Ender's Game, and it's quite a springboard. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was written by, and I think this is where a lot of the criticisms come in as the writing, but it was written by David Benioff and Skip Woods. And funny enough, Benioff is one of the head writers, showrunners for, for Game of Thrones, which... I think you know we all those of us that have seen it have kind of universally applaud the the writing and the direction on that show, especially as com- you know knowing how complex of a narrative the books are. So for me, even even though in general I like you know X Men Origins Wolverine, I, I do think the writing, I think some of the writing and some of the the overall story direction choices were in some spots a little questionable. But knowing that Benioff you know was involved in it was was and it had those weak spots, was a bit of a head-scratcher uh, in some ways. Yeah, but on the opposite side, you have Skip Wells, who's probably best known for the A-Team uh, <laughs> remake script, and you know, the script for Kane and Lynch uh, that supposedly you know, Bruce Willis and Jamie Foxx are going to be doing. I mean, I mean, before this, his best-known movie was Swordfish, and that wasn't exactly, you know, that didn't exactly set the world on fire. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe David, you know, did the main plot, but I think maybe a lot of the, you know, the, the dialogue or whatever went to Skip. So that's just conjecture on my part. Sure, sure. Yeah, he also wrote A Good Day to Die Hard. So yeah, I, I've yet to see that one yet. Yeah, me either. So the score was done by Hen- Harry Gregson Williams, who um, I guess his biggest thing at this point was he's he composed the Shrek movies. Um, and, and like we said kind of in the, in the open there, I was not really impressed with this score. I think it was... Uh, it was a it was a pretty big departure from the other X Men films, which I think had a had a pretty decent score uh, going for it. It was kind of uh, in some ways a little whimsical and reminiscent of the uh, you know X Men animated series, even uh, I, you know some of the cues that picked up. Um, and this one, I don't know if he was trying to maybe uh, you know ape the Hans Zimmer style, but it, it just like I said, I think if, if there was any, a weak point, it was it was the score for sure for me. Honestly, the score didn't really stick out too much to me as a positive or negative. Uh, I didn't even notice it much. I think also he's pretty well known for doing the um, the music for the uh, Metal Gear Solid video games. Uh, ah. That's where I first heard him, anyway. Uh, before you know, his composing as a, as a uh, you know in Shrek or what have you. Right. So then the cast we have Hugh Jackman, of course, coming back as uh, Wolverine, Logan, James Howlett um, for his fourth uh, appearance in this role his fourth so far out of five soon to be six appearances so you, you know for a guy that originally was was cast last minute because doug ray scott w- was shooting long on mission impossible 2 and you know kind of missed the boat on on getting this role 
uh, Jackman was kind of an unknown at that point and came in as this, you know, six foot one ish tall guy playing Wolverine from Australia. And uh, it really, I think, wowed everybody. I mean, there's no question that that the first X-Men movie is what really made Hugh Jackman the star he is today. And uh, I one of the things I really appreciate of Hugh Jackman is he has taken this role and made it his own. He does not shy away from it. He doesn't, you know, uh, you know, feel like I, I don't get the impression he feels like he's been typecast. And, you know, based on his career over the last 13 years, I, I, I could say that he hasn't been typecast. He's, he's had a, a variety of different of different roles. But just the fact that he, you know, it's kind of like Robert Downey Jr. with with Tony Stark Iron Man. He's really taken this role and just and just embraces it and loves every every minute of it and you know the fact that he was able to come back for uh, first class and do that you know little cameo that he had there uh and and upcoming you know with doing a, a full second you know movie for wolverine and then coming back uh at this point for x-men days of future past i think it just says a lot about jackman's character as a person um and and you know what he's meant in this role it also probably helps that he's had several years in between each movie that he can do lots of other things. Um, it's not like they've been shooting these things back to back. He's had lots of time to do a variety of films, comedies, dramas, all kinds of stuff, uh, not giving him a chance to feel bored or locked down into this role. Yeah, exactly. My question to you, Russ, because you are the biggest Wolverine fan among us. How do you feel about Jackman's portrayal of Wolverine vis-a-vis the character in the comic that you grew to know and love? I mean, it, like you said, he's, he's, he's ostensibly he's too tall and the wrong nationality uh, to start with. But how do you feel you know, as, his, as a Wolverine fan about his performance? Uh, I admit, when, when I first heard and saw uh, the initial bits, I was pretty skeptical. Um, but really and truly, once he once he took command of it in the first X-Men movie, I, he had me. I mean, I I just I, for, for the X-Men movies, I can really separate the source material from the movie material. You know, the whole, you know, not using the spandex, the characters, you know, that they put in the situations, the way they've they've gone about uh, constructing this world. It really doesn't bother me. And I, I just I think he's awesome. Like if you'd have told me. You know, twenty years ago, that they'd have cast a six foot, you know, Australian guy for for this bit, I would have, you know, probably choked you. But uh, he's he's just he just embraces it. I mean, he he sells it. I mean, just the rage and the and the ferocity that he plays that role with. To me, he just he just sells it. And I I think I applaud them for realizing that in a live action movie, it's just going to work better than. A five-three wide and hairy lead man. You know, I yeah. mean, it would be difficult to build a franchise around that. I mean, my uncle Vito sounds perfect for the role, but <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to see him. You know, be a star of a of a franchise that they're trying to. I mean, this was kind of the Marvel Universe slash Avengers. It's kind of like the poor man's version before they ever got that rolling. I mean. The X movies were really popular, at least the first two, right? I mean, the third oh, yeah. probably took a little bit of a hit. Yeah, no question. Sorry, Uncle Vito. <laughs> I want to see that film franchise with your uncle, but now, John, so get it rolling. Kickstarter. Yeah, that seems to be pretty popular these days if you want to do that sort of thing. Um, so next up we have uh, Liev Schreiber as Sabretooth. And uh, you know Victor Victor Creed slash Sabretooth, and 
you know, I guess w- one of the biggest continuity gaffes or continuity issues uh, that that we have is that this character was played by Tyler Maine in the first X-Men movie in a basically non-speaking role. He was just there as this very tall, very menacing, um, you know, very much looked the part from the comics, uh, you know, and I think that's where they're going more. And it, it's funny because listening to uh, the the Blu-ray, there, there's like a, a pop-up movie mode kind of thing that comes up and, and they talk to Lauren Schuler Donner and she, you know, addresses this, you know, head on and basically said, look, with Tyler, he was a wrestler, not really ha- coming from an ac- acting background. He looked the part and given the script and the role at the time, he fit. But they knew when they cast this movie that it was going to be a lot more personal. They needed somebody that had some acting chops. And they even tried the long hair at first, she said, and it just looked ridiculous on Liev Schreiber. So they, they, they totally nixed that. So, you know, if, if there's one thing you really have to take liberty more than anything with, with how this fits into the other movies, uh, that would be it. Um, and, and, you know, you could explain it away, but, uh, but I, I thought he did a great job. I think he added a lot of uh, personality. I like the fact that they just went full out and said they were brothers and, and, and they completely ran with that. Um, and I think he had some some pretty good lines and some pretty good interactions with the other characters. So I I, I, I thought his performance was actually pretty good. Yeah, he's great in pretty much everything I've seen him in, and I thought he fit the role very well. I, I don't know that I loved the way they did his claws, although personally I can't think of a better way to do it necessarily. But in terms of acting and presence and embodying the character, I thought he did a great job. And then a character that, that came in that we've seen before as... Uh, the the Colonel Stryker is Danny Houston playing the younger version of the character we saw in X two and I you know again I think I think he did a fine job I think uh, I, I appreciated the fact that they they more closely tied this movie to X two you know bringing back the whole you know chamber with the you know with the adamantium and and kind of re, you know refurbishing it setting it in the past um, and I I think he was he just did really well as being this duplicitous guy and I think yeah his portrayal and Brian Cox's portrayal I think the characters align themselves up pretty well um, a lot of ulterior motive going on um, a lot of deception and everything else but uh, I was I was happy with his his version of Striker yeah I mean I know you're gonna go through the cast a little bit here and I don't mean to jump ahead but casting was not the problem with this movie i don't think <laughs> right i didn't for the most part i didn't have a major issue with with anybody um they certainly all looked the parts of the characters that we were supposed to recognize and you know anyway you're going to you're going to go on but i i really enjoyed the cast overall danny houston has this great mix of genial guy and extremely creepy guy and I guess I would kind of compare him to the turn David Morrissey has taken this season in The Walking Dead as the governor Um, but he's able to kind of morph back and forth in between roles Uh, some movies he's doing both some he's just doing one or the other but uh, he really does do that really well and it fits the character so well not that he's necessarily a creep but he's able to go from that nice guy I'm on your side to menace very well and very believably he was probably my favorite performance in the whole movie, even more so than Hugh Jackman. And I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, but uh, Danny Houston's performance in this, like you said, Jordan, has a lot of different gradations and a lot of uh, turns and transitions, and it's really uh, it's really well done. He was also probably the best part of 30 Days of Night in terms of acting. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. Now, as far as having not having any problems with the casting, 
Um, I think the next person we're going to talk about in the cast, I did have a problem with. Um, Mr. Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas as John Wraith. I, I really thought he probably could not act his way out of a wet paper bag. I mean, I'm sure he's a great musician. I'm not very familiar with his work, but uh, I was not very impressed with his acting in this movie I, at all. I didn't have a problem with his acting. I just questioned why in the world the character was there, which was my problem with yeah. a few of the characters. Yeah, I, I'm i kind of like with Jordan. I didn't have a problem necessarily with Will I Am. I think it was a little bit of a stunt casting for sure. I mean, Black Eyed Peas were probably at their pinnacle of their popularity at this point. Um, and I know he's Will I Am's been trying to kind of break into the acting scene. Um, but I don't think he was that bad. I think he added a little bit of uh, light lightness to the movie, especially, you know, the scene in the gym and then um, the scene down in New Orleans. Um, you know, his character has kind of a cool power. The whole teleporting thing, um, you know, was kind of neat. But uh, but yeah, I didn't, I, overall, I didn't have a problem other than just the fact that when you look at him, it's like, oh, there's Will I Am. You know, it's 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 one of those where it's kind of hard to separate uh, him, primarily, I guess, because he's not really known as an actor. There's a lot of larger name folks in here, um, but I think it's easier to separate some of those out than it was for him. Next up is uh, was Lynn Collins, who played um, Kaylee, the the love interest of Wolverine. Um, pretty much, uh, I thought it was Kayla. Kayla, sorry. Yeah, Kayla. Although, did she use another name when she was still pretending to be on his side in the beginning? Because I felt like they never said it until uh, she quote unquote died, and then he just yelled it, and I couldn't even tell what he was saying. I thought he was just just yelling, but she's kind of—I mean, she's definitely playing the the Silver Fox character from uh, from the comics that was kind of involved with the whole. I mean, in the comics, the the, the little. The Team X group or whatever was like Sabretooth, Maverick, Silver Fox, Wolverine. So it was a little bit of a different makeup. Um, but, uh, but you know, she, she was definitely, you know, a, a mutant that was a part of that group. And, again, I think she did a fine fine part. I think uh, there was a you know, nice little twist with her character that I thought was, uh, was pretty cool uh, that, they, that they added in there. Um, I guess her... I did, not buy, I did not buy it for a minute, dude. Not for one minute, not one minute of her performance did I ever think anything other than, oh, they're setting up Wolverine with her. Especially when I found out her name was Silver Fox, knowing what Silver Fox's powers are. Yeah. I mean, I just yeah. didn't didn't buy it. I mean, she's very attractive. Don't get me wrong. I saw her in John Carter as well, and she was very attractive in, in that and probably did a better acting job in that movie than in this. But I just not, did not buy her performance one bit in this movie. Yeah, the other thing, she's she's kind of known for is she was in the first season of true blood. She played the, the first of the waitresses that got killed off. She was kind of the, um, the sex crazy waitress that was, uh, involved with, uh, with Jason Stackhouse's character. Um, but yeah, very, very attractive in, in my book. Next, we have Kevin Durand who played, uh, Fred Dukes, AKA the blob. And, uh, I, you know, this was just one of those, I think, I, I really thought his character was cool in the beginning when he was just kind of uh, playing the, the big, bulky, strong guy. You know, he you know put his hand in the tank and caused it to backfire on itself. I, I think when they when they kind of forced him to be this blob character, I, I thought it was a little forced. I think it was just one of those, let's see how many, you know, different mutants from the characters that we can bring in to kind of appease the fanboy. That's exactly what it was for this yeah. whole movie. 
yeah, I mean, yeah. I still thought it was awesome, though. Like, I thought it, I, I enjoyed the boxing scene. Like, I laughed a couple of times, maybe for the wrong reasons, you know, but it, like the, the tattoo on his arm and it, it turned into a fat yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That stuff just, it was funny to me. I enjoyed it, boxing with the Slurpee and everything. I mean, the Blob's a stupid character. So, <laughs> I mean, here's my thing with, with his portrayal. And don't get me wrong. I like Kevin Durant. I've liked him in a number of things. I did not love him here. I thought when he was in the beginning, which I think we've a couple of us have already said was our favorite part of the movie, um, he looks cool. The way he acts is cool. But his voice doesn't fit at all. It's just weird. And then once he turns into the blob, his voice, A, seems to get higher pitched than the ridiculous low version he used in the, in the beginning but now it at least fits with his look which now looks ridiculous which granted like john said that's the blob so i don't know what you can really do with that but and, and we'll get into the specifics of his role later in the movie i'm in, in this podcast i'm sure but the voice didn't fit in the beginning and then once it did somehow i liked it even less i'm not sure why i, I will say on I, you know i watched it in prep for the podcast and it had been a little bit since i'd, I'd watched it you know, at least six months or a year since I'd watched it previously. Um, and that scene when I was in the move, when I was in the theater watching it, I remember kind of rolling my eyes, but it, it didn't grate on me near as much uh, when I watched it this last time. I actually, I, I guess I, I appreciated it more on, you know, subsequent viewings than, than I did initially. Next, we have another lost alum with Dominic Monaghan as Bradley. And uh, this is a character that originally when he was cast, the rumor was he was going to play a character called Beak, and thank God he, they did not uh, make that choice for his character because having him look like a bird with this huge half, basically him be be a half bird, half man would have been uh, pretty ridiculous. So, you know, again, I think they just needed somebody with the powers to to kind of forward the script and uh, just used him for that end. Again, I like the actor. I like how he portrayed the character. There was no reason for him to be in this movie. And I thought he was the most interesting one of the, the bunch, you know, being able to talk to machines and, you know, and whatnot and affect yeah, oh, electricity. Yeah. I thought he was the most interesting group of the, you know, of the Weapon X characters and he gets killed off first. You know, Victor yeah. comes for him before anyone else and it's just like, oh, I could, I could get to, you know, we get the whole scene with him in the carnival and everything and this cool setup and then he's out, you know. And it's not and, even like his powers go into Deadpool from what we see. You know, they could have left him alive. Well, I think he was right. the, the the purpose with him too was for Stryker's character to go back to to Logan and say, "Look, they're killing off your old team." You know, you, yeah, but he could have lied about that. Well, but true, but I guess showing showing it in the paper gives it a little more proof. But although I, I will say this, maybe his ability to talk to machines is what allowed them to program Deadpool's brain. Maybe could be, but that was never even hinted at in the film. Right. You guys are thinking way too much for a Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And lastly, speaking of which, uh, is Ryan Reynolds cast as Deadpool. And I, I think outside of Hugh Jackman and probably Lee Shriver at this point, uh, Ryan Reynolds is def was definitely the most known. Um, and, uh, you know, from early on, they pretty much were talking franchise with this Deadpool character. And uh, I think he had a great beginning. I, I loved his... his Attitude. I love the way he portrayed the character, and it's just a shame that they kind of did what they did to it at the end. But uh, oh yeah, his Wade Wilson was perfect. And yes. I, I say that as probably the biggest Deadpool fan out of the four of us. Um, I, I read Deadpool every month. And, you know, he's not my favorite character or anything, but he gets that character 
And whether you like Ryan Reynolds or not, I mean, you got to admit, he is doing that character justice, at least the modern version of the character. I know fans of, like, Deadpool back in the beginning would complain about that. But, you know, he gets that character, he embodies the role, he's got the right attitude, and uh, the sword play he was doing in the beginning was awesome. Yeah. I uh, I liked him better as Wade Wilson than I did uh, as Hal Jordan. Oh, easy. oh yeah. No, no I, th- I thought he fit the character, because he kind of comes off as that genial smartass, you know what I mean? Right, that, and that's why he'd be a great Wally West, which yes. is what we've been waiting for all along. That would be But instead they gave him Hal Jordan. Right. Plus he'd get to stay in the red and yellow. Yeah. Instead they gave him the most serious character in the DC Universe to play. <laughs> well, right. aside from Batman. <laughs> Yeah, that that is. True. I want to talk about Agent Zero, aka Captain John Woo. I mean, yeah. he has like all the powers of a John Woo movie, or what? <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. No, there there was actually a character in the in the books called Agent Zero. Um, oh, okay. And a very lesser known. I mean, Agent Zero and and John Wraith are definitely two of the uh, more, you know more obscure, I would say, X characters of the time. But yeah, he was definitely a. a a, a lower player uh, for sure. All right, so now that we got cast crew numbers out of the way, let's uh let's get into the movie proper. So, right off the bat, the one thing that that I I thought was really cool is they tied this to the X-Men Origin comic, the Paul Jenkins uh comic that that they wrote. I I guess it was back in 2002, 2003. And they knew a lot of it was they knew X two was coming. They were afraid, you know, after the first X Men movie that they were going to do his origin in the movie without doing it in the comic. So they broke down and Casada kind of greenlit them to tell Wolverine's origin story, which was kind of cool because they really focused on the early early days of Wolverine up until you know probably his late teens, very early twenties. Uh, so they didn't really get into him being the Wolverine that we know, but just really like how old is he, where did he come from, all that kind of stuff. Um, and and they stayed fairly true uh, to that with, with this opening scene. Quickly introduced to his father, or his not actual father, who looks just like him when he grows up, despite the fact that we learn not even two minutes later that it's not actually his father. Yeah, I thought that was funny. That guy was like a dead ringer for Hugh Jackman. <laughs> yeah, he could have been Hugh's brother. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was cool that they that they did tie it into Wolverine origin, and it it helped make the whole uh, saber tooth hate and love hate relationship and stuff make a little more sense. And I love the montage thing they did with all the different wars yes. and the... Uh, Very similar to the opening of Watchmen. The, uh, right, Watchmen and I was just going to say, uh, help me out here, this is after Watchmen? Before. Before, I think okay. Yeah, Watchmen was... Well, when did, 20, when did this come out, did you say? 2009, wasn't Watchmen oh, 2010? Oh. Watchmen was 369. Oh, that's right, you're right, you're right. So it was right before. But it's not like they copied it, I mean... Right, <laughs> right, it was it's very close. They, they were released three months apart or something like that. Interesting, but uh, yeah, I think yeah. again, like like you're saying, John, it's just a great way to give us all of that backstory without having to slow the film down. I mean, you do it through the opening credit scene; we get everything we we need to know. We see him storm in Normandy. We see him in the Civil War. We see him in, in the trenches of World War One. You know, and then we you know kind of finish out where the story starts with them in Vietnam. So I, I just thought that was. You know, really good, and it, you know, it gives us everything we need to know. We see him getting, you know, shot and getting back up. They, you know, they they get executed. They, you know, they're they're just basically 
warmongers at this point. I mean, they're just kind of traipsing through. And it's cool because we see the progression of Sabretooth's character, too. We see in the beginning where they're kind of fighting and being a little righteous. And then as things move on, we see, you know, Victor becoming more and more sadistic in, you know, how he's, you know, conducting himself in the war. I tell you, this movie, one thing that that I enjoyed was they they gave the audience a little bit of credit, whether they figured we were the comic book fans or whether they just... I guess what I'm getting at is they didn't spell out anybody's powers for you. They just kind of yeah. used the scenes to show you what they could do. And I think it went over pretty well. I mean, even like with the, the little strike force team where you said, you know, uh, Blob, who isn't Blob yet, punches the tank and stuff. Like, you just know that, okay, he's kind of like an indestructible skin type of guy or like super heavy mass type of guy. And, and Agent Zero, you know, they never explain why. You can just tell he's like a master of weapons and tactical, you know, that, that sort of thing. And even with Deadpool going in and, you know, deflecting bullets with his uh, swords and stuff like that. I just like the way they went about that. I don't even think they explicitly say they're mutants until much later into the film. Although, I mean, yeah. obviously you can figure it out, but... Well, something that I, I, I agree, I think, like the, uh, this, you know, the... Um... The Weapon X, you know, squad part of it is probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Something that really kind of um, started to really take me out of it and kind of bother me about the movie was the, the wire work. Oh, yes, that was awful. There was so much wire work in this movie. And like I said, that one guy, Agent Zero, it just seemed like he had, his, his powers were derived from John Woo. Like he could jump 30 feet in the air and do big double flips and never miss with a single bullet against, you know, 50 guys who can't... <laughs> who can't possibly hit him, who all went to Star Wars Stormtrooper shooting school or something. But, I mean, it's just, um, I mean, the wire work, and especially later, like with Sabretooth, when they show him, like, scurrying across the ground or jumping from wall to wall, uh, it just, the wire work really got distracting to me after a while. I'm just like, there was a lot of times, there were a lot of times there was really, there was really no need for it. I mean, the first time we see Gambit, when he jumps, like, 40 feet in the air to come down and slam down with the staff to... You know, to break up the fight between Wolverine and Sabretooth. I mean, it just—it was just distracting to me. I mean, it just kind of took me out of it. It was just all over the place and, and overused, I thought. And it's really a shame because I felt watching it that it was 70% of the way to looking really cool, and I thought it could have worked if done correctly, but it came off like a bad, ver- an even worse version of like the Batman live-action 60s series, you know, climbing up the side of buildings, which they, they run up the sides of buildings a couple times, too. But it was like, I can see how this would work. I can see how it would look cool, and I can see that they're almost there, and that was almost what made it worse, was, you know, could have been really cool-looking, wasn't. That's interesting, because I, I didn't get that feeling at all. Like, I thought the Agent Zero stuff... The, the wire work. I mean, it was obviously wire work. Don't get me wrong. But he, he didn't bother me as much as Sabretooth and Wolverine, you know, run jumping at each other, which, like I said, I thought the idea of Sabretooth in particular doing that kind of on all fours run slash jump looked like it almost could have been cool and could have worked really well. I didn't have as much problem with Agent Zero. It just it just fell flat for me. They probably went to the well too many times with the Sabretooth run. Yeah. But even the first yeah. time in the, um, well, I guess technically the first person to do it is, is young James Howlett. But the first time we see uh, Sabretooth do it is in uh, on Normandy, the beaches right. of Normandy, and it even looks bad there. I, that, but, it's not, but it's not just Sabretooth with the wire work, though. I mean, like no, I said, no, I, I, mean, I agree, I mean, but they're just a very similar effect. 
Yeah, like like I said, the gambit thing really bothered me. I'm like, how is he able to jump 50 feet in the freaking air to, you know, to slam his staff down like that? I mean, what is he Thor now? I mean, it just it just kind of took me out of the thing. I'm just like, it just kind of you know was distracting. That's how psychokinetics works, Jim. <laughs> well, it did. yeah, that's the. That's the one character that it didn't work for me, like that they didn't explain what his powers were supposed to be. I mean, I kind of know Gambit, and he like I guess he supercharges things, right? Like I, I don't. He can make things explode with his mind, basically. Right. So like I didn't get how he could helicopter his cane to fly, or you know, yeah. I guess Jim's calling it a giant jump, but I think we're talking about the same scene. Yeah, yeah, it just seemed like the laws of and much like Batman and Robin, the laws of gravity were like, you know, not applied in, in every, every every turn. Yeah, I think the you know, if anybody they took the most liberty with it, his powers, it was probably Gambit because while he, you know, is kind of the card shark and, you know, he, he kinetically charges objects um, and then tosses them so they explode but, you know, when he did that whole bit with the cards where they're literally like floating in the air and kind of swirling around it was like I thought that was a bit much. I think the effect was kind of uh, muted. Like I would have expected the the charge effect to be a little more uh, flamboyant than than it was. It was it was kind of they kind of neutered that effect in, in my opinion. My problem with the wolf, with the gambit jump, um, since we're talking about it, was the fact that I, I thought it was a funny bit when he walks up behind Wolverine and is like, you know, I can't believe you took me all that. You know, or you came all this way, and he starts, you know, kind of kind of chewing him out and wolverine just just raises up his hand and knocks him out cold and then the next thing you know while wolverine and Sabretooth haven't really moved very far from that alley when they next when we next see gambit he's like running from three buildings away and then takes this jump and i was and i, I remember watching i was like where the hell did he go like why he was right there like it, it you know that's the the bit that didn't really make sense to me, and I, and I know part of it was just for effect. They wanted to show show off his power a little bit. They needed something to kind of break the scene up, you know, and 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 that's that's the purpose he served. But you know, yeah. I, I, What's that actor's name again? Because I think we skipped him when Taylor we ran Kitch. down the cast. Yeah. Uh, so another John Carter alum in this movie. I mean, I didn't hate his performance. I didn't love the accent so much, and I, I thought he kind worked as Gambit. But I, I don't know. I just I, since we left him out, I thought we should mention him by name. I thought he looked the part pretty well. I mean, I'm not a big Gambit fan, but he it looked like Gambit to me. Yeah, he's. I mean, and he's a tough one to pull off because you know to do true Gambit, you need the heavy Cajun accent, the you know the long trench coat, the the costume that goes around the head and the back. I mean, and that it, that's just a hard thing to pull off on live action without it looking kind of ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I was I I just wasn't a fan. Of that, I, I again, I think he was just one of those a plot device, and just we need to get in another character. Gambit's popular, you know. We've hinted at him being in the other three X Men movies, uh, so let's just go ahead and bite the bullet and, and get him in this one. And I think that's where it begins to fall apart for me. After the when he meets up with Gambit, I guess there's probably about thirty five minutes left in the movie at that point. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably where it begins the downhill slide. Yeah, no, I think sure. my, my real problem started with Kayla when a they apparently just have a relationship, never really delved into or explained. Like I said, I don't if I, if she used another name, I don't think I ever heard it. So the first time I heard her name was after she was surprised, not dead. Um, the whole the whole where were they in were they in Canada? Yeah. 
the whole just Canadian wilderness thing just kind of happened and then it was gone and never really considered again. Uh, you know, he, he hasn't even taken the name Wolverine yet and Sabretooth is dropping off, uh, you know, the decapitated head of a Wolverine for some reason. For whatever reason, that's that's just the the road they chose. I, it, to me, again, it didn't it didn't bother me. I mean, you know, one of the things in the comics they always made a point of is that the women in Wolverine's life are always killed or you know somehow punished, and the, you know she she was kind of there. You know, I mean, granted there was a big switcheroo, but that was her purpose in in this movie was to get him to that you know point in his head oh, oh i understand it's, it's his impetus for revenge but i just feel like they really needed to flesh out the relationship some more so that i cared enough that he cared and a and then b that when the reveal comes that hey double agent uh there's some some pathos there of some type yeah i felt like uh, yeah no duh she's a double agent i'm you know i figured that out in the first act you know um, it just, like I said, I didn't, didn't buy it at all. I mean, I immediately thought, oh, okay, this is a, she's obviously a plant there, you know, to keep him under control, you know, and to keep an eye on him, keep tabs on him. You know, I, I didn't think, you know, when they had the big reveal at the end, I was just like, yeah, so what? Because, you know, like Jordan is saying, I didn't, I didn't buy the relationship at all. It, did, it didn't seem to have any depth. At least give us a scene of, like, them meeting or something like I don't need like some weird falling in love montage, but give me more than just oh hey she's here oh hey she's dead. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know. For me, I I I didn't see that as a problem. I mean, I got the impression that they'd been together for some time. That um, you, you know they they kind of made the point of showing that he's just trying to live a simple life, and she's a school teacher and and things like I I thought there was enough setup. I think. I think too much more and it would have bogged it down. I mean, and that was kind of a slow point in the movie to begin with. So for me personally, to add more to that, I think would have would have put the brakes on even further. Well, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you that it was a slow point in the movie, but for me it was slow because I didn't care. Yeah. And I feel like giving me a reason to care might have not made it feel so slow. But it's, you know, it's hindsight's twenty twenty type thing. Sure. And it's a Wolverine movie. <laughs> That's true, too. So speaking of, I guess we'll back up a little bit. I've got a, I've got a, a few clips here just to kind of, uh, you know, we've kind of spoken uh, Hugh Jackman's praises. And one of the things I think they did in a positive way with the writing is they made sure Wolverine kind of hit all the beats of his character. I mean, you know, the things he said and the way he went about it are the things we come to expect for those of us that have followed the character for some time. Um, to to be accustomed to him either saying or or the way he's acting. So I will uh, I'll rifle those off now, and then we can uh, we can dive into that. You are the animal, Colonel. You got it. I almost forgot. I want new ones. What do you want them to say? Wolverine. This is not about you, Logan. Your country needs you. I'm Canadian. I know you, Logan! I know who you are! Why is he bothering you after all these years? Because I'm the best there is at what I do. But what I do best isn't very nice. You're not an animal, Logan. What you have is a gift. A gift? You can return a gift. 
Hey, did um speaking of hitting the beats and stuff, did Sabretooth ever call him Runt? No. No. I was waiting for that. Seemed so obvious at many points that it was about to come out of his mouth and just really tick Wolverine off. Yeah, especially since they made a point of in the beginning, you know, showing him being sickly and he was always sick and you know, up until that moment, um, you know, he was kind of a sickly child. So it it definitely made would have made sense. And I thought most of those fit in well enough. I mean, I guess you could say they're forced or they're, you know, sort of contrived for the comic fans or whatever. But none of them really stood out as, like, you know, out of place, I guess. Yeah, the the only one that I thought was a little, you know, not quite as saying, he didn't say it with enough conviction, was the whole, I'm the best there is at what I, what I do. I always picture him when he says that, it's very gravelly, like he's in the in the heat of something in the middle of something and he just kind of said it matter of fact and to, uh, that that part is the only one that i felt like really was okay they just had to fit this in the script somewhere this seems like a good spot let's just let's just do it the whole th- the whole bit about it being a gift and you can give a gift back i, I thought that was that was a, a nice little touch and I-, I think they did a good job contrasting from the, the halfway point of this movie backward that he really hadn't embraced the 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 wild side of himself you know it was almost like a necessity you know they showed him doing it when he was in the war or wars plural and then when he when he fought you know victor in the beginning it was more about his conscience and his convictions and that's not something we typically associate with wolverine as a character this kind of uh I mean, he's he's floated in and out of it over time for sure, but but kind of this more pacifist, you know. I just want to be left alone. I don't I don't really like what I what I am. To once we get kind of past that halfway point, he realizes what he is and and who he is and what he has to do, and that's that's kind of the turning point for the character that we see, you know, in the in the other X Men movies and and more than likely what we'll see in in the coming movie. What do you guys think of the uh, the adamantium? Uh, the actual, you know, the incisions and the whole process of, of putting the adamantium on him. I thought it was pretty cool. Maybe maybe a little corny when he comes out of the water and he's doing, like, the con scream yeah. or whatever. But uh, but I like the whole process leading up to that. Or corny that the villain would say his plan right where he knew Logan with his advanced hearing could hear it. <laughs> yeah. And then to have someone point out, I think he heard you. Why don't you just yeah. stand up and yell and, you know, clue everybody in that way? From a set piece and a design piece, they tied it into what we saw in a little bit in X1 and then in X2. Uh, you know, not exactly, obviously, because, you know, a, it was newer and they spruced it up. And, you know, just so we could see what was going on, they redesigned it a little bit. But I like the fact that they didn't decide to just go completely in a different direction and ignore what we saw in X2. Um, one of the scientists we saw there, there was kind of like a balding scientist with glasses. That was Dr. Cornelius who uh, was in the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X, uh, you know, comic, which is, you know, kind of where we first saw, you know, when Wolverine got brought into the program and had the, the Admanium and broke out of the facility and, and that whole whole bit. And, and, I, and again, I think they were true to that aspect of the origin from, from the comics, and I, I, I really appreciate it. I thought it was very well done. I, I love the bit when he breaks out and runs to that big steel door and they show the claws go in the in the triangular pattern and he pushes that thing out. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you always wanted to see is him using these claws to just just cut through anything. And I just I thought that was very very well done. So how about that ending? Who? <laughs> oh my. 
with possibly transvestite uh, Professor X. Yeah, that he looked really weird. He looked like a gray alien or something. I mean, there was like light emitting from his head. Um, I don't know if it was CGI'd in there or you know if they had Patrick Stewart come down and then they you know they motion captured him in or something. But that just did not look right. And John, and then, you were commenting earlier that they went out of their way not to be like. I'm Steve, and my powers are X. Yet, probably the most recognizable of the X-Men shows up and has to demonstrate and then explain his powers, which are talking in people's heads before he then talks through his own mouth. It was bizarre. And the way they tied it all to the X-Men continuity, like with the young Scott Summers and then Silver Fox and Emma Frost being sisters, and like Emma Frost's power being that she could, you know, like her secondary mutation is her primary power, and I, I don't know. It just seemed kind of like a sloppy thing to put on the end. Now, was that was she Emma Frost by no. name in this, or is it all right? But she, obviously, the blonde mutant who turns into a diamond. Yeah, is, I mean they they put her in the credits as Emma. They didn't give her a last name, and obviously, with the diamond power, um, I don't think they actually call her by name in the movie proper. And, and funny enough, I think the diamond effect on that character looked better than the diamond effect they used in uh, <laughs> in the actual. Uh, First class. Yeah, in first class. Also, her acting, as little as we saw of it, was probably better than January Jones's. Probably. Not saying a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And again, you know, we we joked about it earlier, but I think we probably need to spend a little more time on the fact that you take the Merc with a mouth. You know, probably one of the most enjoyable parts of this movie was, you know, you, you have Ryan Reynolds to totally go to town with being since dead since you bring it up let's uh i got i got a couple clips that accentuate that and then we that that'll be a nice uh offset to what we're about to talk about i think you know, i love this weapon more than any other thing in the whole wide world you want to know why no it's memorable sure it's a little bulky tough to get on a plane you whip out a couple of swords at your ex-girlfriend's wedding, they will never, ever forget it. That's funny, Wade. I think you confuse me with someone who gives a Granted, it's, it's probably not as intimidating as having a gun or bone claws or the fingernails of a bag lady. Manicure. Victor. Easy. Fred got a new tattoo. I'm concerned. Oh, Jesus, Fred, you just met her last night. I love her. You love her after one night. She's a gymnast. Bradley, take her down. So that's how we we get introduced to the Deadpool character. And it was perfect. It was spot on. Perfect. And I cannot, for the life of me, come up with a reason why they wouldn't make him pull over the red and black hood right when that elevator opened up and let him be Deadpool. 
or why they would take the most distinguishing part of Deadpool, his mouth, known as the Merc with the Mouth, and take that away at the end of the I mean, the only thing I can figure is just they, the whole, they keep making a point about how he never shuts up and this and that. And to make him the ultimate weapon, they, you know, basically sew his mouth shut. I, I, I think they were trying to go for a little comedic effect. And I think, you know, like you guys said, I think that was the, the biggest mistake they could have made is if they would have had Ryan Reynolds with the powers, you know, that they had with that final fight and maybe put it on a, in a different venue, like maybe not had it at the top of a nuclear cooling tower. I think it would have. I think this movie would have like ticked up a, like a point or two on the scoring side for for sure. But um, you know, deciding to go that route with with I mean, that wasn't even Ryan Reynolds that that was you know the the quote Deadpool character at the end. That was just some stunt actor that they had uh, doing you know doing the part. Although and, when they go back to his head in the after credit scene, the one of I believe three possible ones you could get in addition to the striker one um it does look like his head which is such a weird transition and after they you know he didn't put the hood on for the elevator scene or whatever and and i'm wondering if they're ever going to do it the first time i see the movie etc then when they mutilate his face i'm like okay now we're gonna get the hood because it's gonna cover up the badly deformed face which is really what you know, that's not how Deadpool's face got deformed, but yeah. that's the character, right? And they still didn't do it. No, they just ran him out there with no shirt. And, and sword arms. And then when he used Scott's optic blast power, that's when he kind of got the diamond, you know, the, the diamond shape, the black around the eyes like like the costume would have. And I think that was kind of the, the closest we got. But like I said, I, I didn't have a problem with you know, Sabretooth and Wolverine teaming up to fight Deadpool at the end. I mean, I think that was kind of choreographed as well. It's it's just like on top of a nuclear cooling tower. And then the way the whole thing, you know, when he cuts the head off and it, and it collapses, it just that's the part of the movie for me. I mean, as much as I enjoyed everything up to this point, that that last like that not even the last 10 minutes, because I think the last actual 10 minutes of the movie were actually pretty well done. It's it's that it's that five minute ten, you know six minute fight that just really kind of made it go off the rails i think i think they just really you know kind of backed themselves into a corner and and didn't know what to do and just said oh well we'll tie it tie it into the three mile island accident in 1979 and you give them all these powers which a i think is kind of dumb in the first place like e- even if it wasn't deadpool even if it was you know a invented character for this movie or somebody else or something the, the you know the the sword arms in particular and, and granted we give <laughs> these are comic book movies we give them a lot of leeway but at least Wolverine's claws can fit in his forearm these swords can't and then he fights with the swords for a while and then oh hey I can teleport too and I'll use only that power for a few minutes and then oh hey I've got uh you know Cyclops blast too so I'm just going to use that power for five minutes instead of I don't know maybe using all of them at the same time and actually killing the person you're trying to kill. Yeah, I mean, I guess the over the only defense I can think of, if if we really want to overthink it, is that whatever process they were going through wasn't complete when they let him loose. Which I could but, probably buy um, that to an extent, but but no, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jordan. It uh, it it just you know, I guess if if there's a if there's a point at which the movie, even even people that enjoy it, really can't 
um, apologize for it. I, th- I think it's that it's that bit. But I mean, I mean, overall, I, I you know, I think the stunts were good. I liked the bit with the with the old couple, you know, the, oh, the Hudsons, which was kind of a call. Yeah, 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 yeah it was kind of funny because <laughs> they they were called the Hudsons, but yet you know, as a, as kind of an homage to the Alpha Flight Heather Hudson, but. You know, they they obviously were analogs to Ma and Pa Ken. I mean, from coming home in this old truck, you know, and seeing the, you know, naked Wolverine running, you know, across the field and, you know, which, you know, obviously, you know, very reminiscent of Ma and Pa Kent in the first Superman movie, seeing the, you know, naked, you know, boy that crash landed to Earth. I will say that when when the old lady got shot, I that to me was pretty shocking. I mean, I I kind of had a feeling that there was going to be some confrontation there, but but the, but that was pretty that, that you know that 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 was kind of a turn I guess I wasn't immediately well expecting. it was just a weird tonal shift because we go from him escaping the Weapon X facility which is I don't want to say traumatic or especially dark in tone but darker in tone to this prolonged slapstick nyuk nyuk set up at their house with him slashing the sink and oh don't want to give the old lady a heart attack to jump back in tone to it being really dark with old people getting murdered. It was just bizarre. I knew as soon as they picked him up that they were dead. They would be dead within a rail. We, we talked about the bad special effects with the wire work, but can we please talk about how... Now, granted, not exclusively, because sometimes the claws look just fine, but particularly in the slapstick slashing up the bathroom ridiculous scene, he's looking in a mirror, and in the mirror, his claws look like the worst CGI claws in any of the X-Men movies, as far as I can remember. Yet on his hands, which, Grant, we're seeing both at the same time, they look like the worst plastic knockoff, uh, you know, Walmart toy versions of the claws you've ever seen. It is such a weird thing where they don't look like each other, and they both look equally bad in completely different ways. Yeah, I think, I mean... Even in the X movies, I think from time to time when they show the claws, they and I mean it's honestly it's no different in the comic too. They they tend to take on different attributes depending on what angle they're being viewed at or what or what the purpose is. I you know and I think that was just you know, over oversight. Either the you know the CGI just wasn't clean enough or or the you know the props they had to use at the time you know were weren't quite right, but. Uh, but again, it, to me, it didn't really. I, I guess I didn't overthink it too much. I didn't. It didn't take me out of it. Um, and I know I sound super down on this movie, like I hate it, and I don't. It's it's an okay movie, but it just feels like, just like I said with the wire work, there was so many places where this felt like it was seventy percent of a pretty good movie that just fell short in enough places by just enough that it really took it down a few notches in my book. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. To quote every parent in every '80s movie ever. <laughs> so I guess we've we've kind of picked picked apart, you know, most of the movie um, up to this point. What did you guys think of the ending? I mean, the actual ending with you know Stryker pulling out the Admanium bullet and shooting him in the head twice, um, and then you know him basically coming to. With uh, Kayla dead, you know Gambit running up to him, him not having any memory, the whole Three Mile Island and, thing, and then he's going you know, to shoot to an head. almost dead woman with probably the most expensive bullet on the planet because he can. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it didn't. The whole adamantium bullets kind of goofy or whatever, but that sticks pretty close to the comics, right? Uh, the adamantium yeah. bullet, or no? Is that a completely new thing for the movie? 
Yeah, no, no, that's not something they've. Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure if I, if I if I look back through my long boxes, I'm sure I could probably find some instance of it. But that you know that was the, the, his memory loss was always attributed to them mind wiping him constantly. It was never like it was never like a, a true physical thing. I mean, it was just all the trauma and you know all you know weapon x send, the the program sending him on missions bringing him back wiping his mind gotcha. you know sending him out wiping his mind you know that kind of thing so i i definitely think they needed a mechanism to you know to to make it happen at the end of the movie but i just thought it was kind of cool that they ended it so abruptly i mean it was just like here he's he shot and it was just kind of chaotic like he you know i i think jackman did a really good job of selling it too where you know he you know, was just utterly confused, and you know, when Gambit first came up to him, you know, just just that look, and him looking down at at Kayla, you know, and and her body, and not, you know, kind of maybe feeling some kind of connection to it, but you know, but not, and then them taking off like they did. I I just I, I don't know. I just thought I thought it was kind of cool, and then they just kind of zoom out, and then boom, that's it. Move well for the most part, movie's over until we get past the credits, but. uh but I, I don't know. I just thought it was. I th- I thought the ending was well done. I think whatever shortcomings they had leading up to that moment, I think the way they just said, okay, this is how he gets to where we find him, you know, or the path he's on to where we find him in in the first X Men movie, I, I thought was cool. I think the Professor X stuff. I know we talked about it a little bit. Definitely cheesy. Definitely, but it was literally kind of one of those things that they threw in at the last minute. I mean, admittedly so. Um, originally, I guess they were planning on having the kids load up in Gambit's plane and them taking off. And then they were like, ah, eh, that's not quite going to work right. So I thought it was kind of cool the way they, the way they handled it. Um, you know, I think adding Scott in there was kind of a nice, nice touch in, in general. I, I mean, again, I think it was another one of those, you know, forced cameos, but, but having one tied directly to the rest of the franchise, I think was probably a smarter forced entry than than some of the other ones that we got but but overall i think it ended on on a high note at least in my book for all the things i can look past the the bullet that erased his memory bothered me for some reason (laughs) i mean i I thought it was easy but in a comic book way that kind of worked i don't know it it didn't why wouldn't adamantium bullet affect him any differently it'd be like shooting somebody with a bullet made of bone you know i mean (laughs) why would it why and it's like the kiss at the end of superman one or superman two you know, it wipes away Lois's memory. It's just like a, it's a convenient plot device. It bothered me too. I'm just like, why would that, you know? And they're gonna, and they're, they they refer a whole bunch of times to this movie too. Well, he erases memory, erases memory. Why didn't they just do that? You know, no, they have to shoot him in the skull. I mean, I don't know. It, well, it, the thing it about it that bothers me is, you know, he's a healer. Yeah, why would so that do? Any why would that damage you know? that a bullet would do to him? He would heal, and it would go back to normal. Well, the brain would heal, but like Stryker said, your memories are not going to just heal. They are, you know, electronic impulses. They're not a physical thing that can be reformed. I hated the whole addition of the the ex kids in this too, and like like Russ said, you know, it was obviously thrown in at the last minute. It just really did not seem like it was. It should be part of this movie. It just seemed like a, um, the, at the last minute they decided they wanted to tie it to the rest of the X Men franchise, and it just didn't. It, it annoyed me more than anything else. Well, the, I mean, the kids, the part with the kids in there didn't really bother me because again, that was you know Striker having to find the right mix of powers, and you know, obviously he was doing some other type of experiment. I think part of it too was to you know to get them off the street and you know what have you i mean that that part didn't didn't really bother me because i think it added to 
his motivations, especially what we saw in X2, where, you know, the troubles he had with his own son and, and him, you know, having such a mad on for going after Xavier's group. So that, 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 you know, that part didn't bother me. And the same thing with the Adamantium bullet. I mean, they needed something to pierce the skull. I don't think, which is interesting because he should technically have two holes in his skull. Like the Admanium wouldn't grow back, right? I mean, the skull would grow back, but he's, he should have two weak spots, um, you know, in, in, in in his in his head that that aren't covered by the admanium at this point. Did the bullet come out the other side? I don't remember. Um, I don't think they I show don't... that much. Yeah, they didn't show. And it, the yeah. CGI was kind of sketchy too. With the, you know, like you see the two marks obviously that the bullets make, and then they end up healing over. And it's like, is the, that the bullet still in there healing over that, or is it just the hole? Yeah, it was a little. It would have been cool for the bullet to get out. spit yeah, out. That's and then, what I was waiting yeah. for. Wait, wait, what movie is that? Yeah. That definitely happened somewhere. <laughs> in the Wolverine, he just coughs really hard at one point and spits out a bullet. And I was like, oh, that's where that was. I just, and the yeah. whole fight on top of the cooling but, tower just really... Uh, I just... I don't know. It just yeah. really... I, it made me uh, like really mad at this movie by the time I was done with it. And like Jordan said, there are parts of it that, that really could have worked. The whole opening bit with the, the Team X or whatever and Stryker and the, you know, trying to track down the adamantium, that whole bit worked. You know, Some of the other bits worked, but on the overall, especially the third act, it just seemed like it fell apart. Well, before we do ratings real quick, I want to ask you about that. I took the metal they found as vibranium not adamantium because i mean adamantium is an alloy with a mixture of of various different things so i kind of took it especially since they found it in africa i I didn't know if they were trying to at that point you know this is before the whole marvel universe you know marvel movie you know proper first really got kicked into super high gear i mean we'd had iron man at this point but i didn't know if they were trying to tie it into like wakanda and vibranium and stuff like that well there was a deleted scene uh, with a young storm wasn't there yes yeah yeah, one of the deleted scenes was when, uh, when all that stuff goes down and and Wolverine leaves, that she she brings down. You know, it's like lightning and and thunder and rain going on, and they they ended up clipping. And that, and Stryker um, definitely says that they've created an alloy with the metal they yeah. found. So I'm, yeah. I can buy that. That doesn't yeah. bother me at all. Yeah, the other, and I guess I, I know I said one more thing, but um, I guess we could talk a, a little bit about the post credit scene. So there was there were two with Deadpool. The one where he that you know you see the hand and then he covers over you know he he picked the head and then you hear him go you know go shh and then there was an was the other scene where he actually finds the head and I don't picks think it I've up seen all of them, yeah i've definitely seen the one where was, he goes shh and i saw a different one in theaters that wasn't him i don't remember yeah. what it was it was maybe wolverine saying something about japan um well the the other one was at at the very end where they show wolverine he's in a bar in Japan, and the woman behind the bartender is actually speaking Japanese, and he replies in Japanese, and she says, "You know, oh, are you drinking to forget?" And he and he replies back and says, "No, I'm I'm drinking to remember." Gotcha. So that's the one I um, saw in and theaters, that's, and I have not seen this movie since the yeah, by that, the way, uh, until today. Wow. Um, and I was, I mean, that was like the scene, right? Yeah. When everybody heard that that was happening, everybody went bananas because they thought, okay. If they do another one, we're for sure getting the Frank Miller, Chris Claremont, you know, Wolverine in Japan fighting, you know, ninjas, Silver Samurai, that whole bit. Um, so everybody was like super. I think everybody was more excited about that scene than they were. The well, that's pretty the much movie. what we're getting with the James Mangold, the Wolverine movie, isn't it? I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. Indeed we are. All right, well, I think we've we've uh, beat this one to death, unless anybody else has some uh, some other closing thoughts about the movie nope, before we get into so. the ratings. All right, Mr. Dietz, why don't you... We'll, we'll balance this out. Well, Jim, why don't you go first and give your star... My rating. wife still refers to this movie as the worst movie I ever made her sit through. Because um, we were on vacation when we saw it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we were on vacation when we saw it in the theater. And uh, I mentioned to her that we were doing it tonight on the podcast, and that's how she referred to this movie. I didn't hate it as badly as she did, but the, it had a lot of flaws that really bothered me. And... Uh, I don't know, parts of it worked, parts of it did not work. Like I said, the third act just kind of fell, whole, the whole thing kind of fell apart for me, and I'm just, I just kind of threw my hands up in, in, dis, in dismay. Uh, so I am going to give this a 3 out of 10. Yikes. So we need some balance here. Johnny M. Well, luckily, I had once taken my wife to see the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes remake. So this is definitely not the worst movie that I've ever made my wife see. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was way... I, I totally agree with Jordan in the in the fact that I was totally on my way to really enjoying it. And then for me, it was, again, when they hit the gambit part with about 30 minutes left to go, uh, sliding further down into the hole with the whole Deadpool and the fight at the nuclear plant and all that. But that being said, I was probably on my way to like an eight or an eight and a half. And I think I end up in the six and a half area. That's what I'm going to give it. Definitely way better than some of the other stuff we've reviewed already. But I know there's a lot better stuff to come as well. True that. Yeah, I just looked up the post. Mr. from Jersey. And uh, there's the one with Stryker, and then there's two alternate ones. There's Japan, and there's the shh one. I th- if I remember correctly, there was rumors of a third one when the movie came out, but that just turned out to be uh, internet trolls. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I, uh, I fall in a very similar camp to Johnny. Not ex- not not exactly. I mean, it wasn't like I was super high up on the movie until the end. I had kind of the the same problems throughout, except for the those first couple scenes in the beginning, which, like we've already talked about, were pretty awesome. Um, I just feel like it was so close to a really good, really fun movie that I would have enjoyed a lot, even as not you know the world's biggest Wolverine connoisseur. I mean, I, I don't hate the character; it's just not really my thing. But I, I have to come down on a six, where it, it wasn't a bad movie. It just could have been that eight, eight and a half, nine, like John's talking about. And there was just so many little places that would take off like a tenth of a point that it added up to being about a six. Fair enough. I uh, I will give it a seven and a half, so I'll be the most generous of all. Um, it, it's really hard to deny the faults that this one had. You've done your best, though. I, I just... Yeah, no, I, I did true that. Um, but... I, I just I just think again I, I really love what Hugh Jackman has done with this role and and the reverence he has for the character and the way he's embraced it um, and I think the first half of the movie is so strong in, in my opinion I think there's so many things they did right and I think the action was good uh, and the and the fighting was good um, so I, I you know again not as not near as good as X one or X two better than X three. Um, for sure, and and of course not near as good as as first class, but uh, but you know I, I, I like I said I'll give it a seven and a half, so it's that's a, that's a C, 
you know, C plus. Um, one last thing, real quick, uh, b- before we we spin the wheel. Um, if if anybody is is somewhat interested in the movie um, and has an opportunity to get the Blu-ray, I highly recommend it. There's some really good behind-the-scenes stuff. There's uh, you know there's definitely uh, there's there's two commentary tracks on there. You know, one with Gavin Hood, one with uh, Lauren Schuler Donner and Ralph Winter, uh, the producers, which is really cool. Uh, the other thing is uh, there's this kind of um, picture-in-picture mode. Uh, that you could watch along and there's like four or five different of these picture in picture tracks and they're very scene specific so something will come up and you'll get this little picture box to pop up and it'll be gavin hood or lauren Schuler donner or hugh jackman or somebody you know associated with the cast or crew to speak about that scene specifically and there's you know some that are based on you know the characters and connections to the other movies there's you know some that that are based on you know like stunts and 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 other things and it, it really is kind of cool to to get that while you're you know while you're in the middle of watching it um and and again the commentary tracks um are, are pretty good as well so it's it, it's a cheap blu-ray i mean now it's been out for you know several years you could pick it up probably for 10 bucks or under um if you look for it and you know even even if you you know give the movie a mediocre score i think it's i think it's uh, a good use of Blu-ray technology, and I wish more studios would do some of these cool picture-in-picture type features. You know, then 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 they do, but uh, but but it's actually a pretty pretty well, and the picture quality is excellent. I mean, it's it's definitely you know top-notch transfer. Um, you know, it's definitely not a garbage print. So um, I, I you know whether whether you you know are a fan or or mildly a fan of the movie, I think the the Blu-ray is a, a definite a definite it's buy. It's that time again. Dare we? we dare. I know it's Jim's favorite part. <laughs> so uh <laughs> So here we go. We shall spin the wheel of fate. The wheel must be a fan of Ryan Reynolds because the wheel has chosen Blade Trinity as Ooh. the next movie. <laughs> Very interesting. I do love Jessica Biel. I don't think I've ever actually seen Blade Trinity, so this will be interesting. Oh, yes. Well, I need to see the first two <laughs> to understand it. Jordan, if you it's sit not... down and watch the movie, you have already put in more effort than Wesley Snipes <laughs> has put into the movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. This is yeah, and Ryan Reynolds pretty much plays the same character as Hannibal King in this movie as he does in the uh, as he did in in uh, uh, X Men Origins Wolverine as uh, as Wade. Wilson. I challenge all of our listeners, somebody with video skills, to superimpose the Deadpool hood over Ryan Reynolds in Blade Trinity. That sounds like a would lot be of work. Awesome movie. <laughs> yes, and probably more relevant. <laughs> I almost feel All bad right. that we're not doing Blade or Blade 2 before Trinity. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Ours is not the reason why. That's correct. Well, think of it this way. There's only one direction to go on Blade movies after we get this one That's out of That's true. Yes. It can only get better. And quite a streak of bad movies. <laughs> we'll get a good one here eventually, I promise. I promise. 
that's all. That's all we have uh, this month for Real Heroes. Uh, so I guess tune in next month in sometime in mid-April. It will not be April Fools. This is not an April Fools. When we when we cover Blade Trinity, as we just discussed. In the meantime, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you could do so at 516-468-7912. You could visit the Facebook groups for Real Heroes or the website at www.hhwlod.com. For all of the other shows that we have on the HHWLOD Podcast Network, including The Black Box, out now with Aaron Nave, the Movie Review Podcast, Half Hour Wasted, um, of course, Legion of Dudes, the ever-popular Walking Dead TV Podcast, uh, which we're winding down Season 3 on. So, a lot of good stuff happening over there. So, until next time, this is Russ. Thanks for joining us. Good night.